have your Bible with you tonight, go ahead and open up to the book of Acts. And to begin our time, turn to Acts chapter 15. As you know, we've been studying primarily, though not exclusively, through the book of Acts, kind of doing a survey through the book and approaching it from the standpoint of seeing how it is that God grew the early church. And we have seen how our Lord was bringing people to salvation. We've seen him, how it is he was working and seeing saints and true believers growing in their faith. How he used such things as persecution. And tonight we're going to consider how it is that God used purity to grow the church. If you think about it, as we go out to share the gospel with others, we must maintain Purity. And when I talk about purity, there's two ways in which we must remain pure if God's going to use us to see His church grow. First and foremost, we must remain pure in the sense of the gospel. And then, secondly, we must remain pure in the sense of our own lives, our own living before the Lord and before this world. The teaching, the gospel message that we proclaim, it must be true, but it also must be true of our lives as well. That is, the message we preach needs to be supported by the life that we live. And this is important to God. It is important, we're going to see here in just a moment, it is important to the Spirit of God to the third person of the Trinity because the Holy Spirit was actively involved in maintaining the purity of the gospel in the church and maintaining the purity of the people in the church. I had you turn here to Acts chapter 15 because here is where we talked about last time together when we were looking at persecution and we were thinking about threats that come against the church. And we see here was an internal threat to the church. And that is there was beginning to have some folks that were teaching things that were distorting the gospel. That were distorting that wonderful truth that a person was saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And we pick it up here in chapter 15 in verse 1 where we're told that some men came down from Judea. And here's what they were teaching the brethren. That unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. They're telling people who are already have made even a confession of faith in Christ, they were saying, you are not saved unless you also are circumcised. And as we're going to walk through this in a moment, I want you to notice whenever they... This brings Paul and Barnabas go to Jerusalem to settle this issue. And they come before James, who is an apostle there and a leader there in the church at Jerusalem. And they get together. And if you will, go over to verse 22 where it says, It seemed good to the apostles, it seemed good to the elders, and with the whole church. And they chose some men from among them to send back to Antioch. This is the church where this all started to send them back to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas 
to share with them how it is that this issue needed to be settled. And I want to bring your attention to verse 28. Because what they write, they say, is that it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us as well to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials that he goes on to spell out there in verse 29. But I brought your attention to this because James here, writing on behalf of the apostles and the elders and the whole church there, says this is what seemed good to the Holy Spirit of how we're going to resolve this issue and maintain the purity of the gospel. But it's not just the Holy Spirit was active then in maintaining the purity of the gospel. The Holy Spirit was also very active in maintaining purity among the people. Go back to chapter 5 in Acts. In Acts chapter 5, this is where we have the, the circumstance that comes to be with Ananias and Sapphira. A husband and wife that are killed, that lose their life. And what I want you to see is when Peter's addressing them, that what it is that they have done by lying, that they have actually sinned, they have lied and sinned against the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 3, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? You go down and look down in verse 9. When Peter here is speaking to his wife, and says, why is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test. Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry out you as well. And immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last. Notice again, who is it that is involved in this? It's the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit of God who is there that they're putting to the test the Spirit of the Lord. It is important to God that there is purity in the body of Christ. There is purity when it comes to the gospel. So for tonight, I want us to focus on purity in regards to the gospel message. Now these are some things that we have talked about on different occasions as we have been studying God's word when we did the series on evangelism and as we have just been looking into the word of God on these Sunday nights together that it is very clear that God wants the gospel to remain pure and it is important that God's people keep the gospel pure. And let me just remind you of that. I want us to look at some different situations, different places in Scripture where the gospel was under attack, where the gospel was under attack of being distorted. Let's go back to what we talked about last Sunday, last Sunday morning on Easter Sunday. Go again, if you will, over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, remember what was the subject at hand? What was it that was being attacked that is essential to the gospel? And that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Again, remember, Paul is writing to a church of believers. And here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 
Read again in verse 12. Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how is it that some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? They were listening and some were even beginning to entertain the idea that there was actually no resurrection of the dead. That is, when you die as far as physically, this life is over. And the physical life is over. There is no resurrection of the dead. And if you recall why this was so essential that they didn't continue down this track, which would be distorting the gospel, it's because Paul is saying, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Jesus, who was God here in the flesh, he wasn't raised from the dead. And if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, then our preaching is a lie, your faith is a lie, you're still in your sins, there's no cleansing, there's no eternal life, there's no eternal hope for those who have already died in Christ. We are a hopeless, helpless group of people. And this is why Paul knows this is so important that he addressed this and not allow it to stand because they can't allow a teaching that goes against an essential tenet of the gospel to stand and remain. If you will, go over to Galatians chapter 1. Go to Galatians chapter 1. In Galatians chapter 1, what Paul is saying to all the churches and the brethren of Galatia, the area of Galatia. Verse 6, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. This whole letter that Paul writes here to the churches of Galatia is because there were some teachers out there that were teaching things that distorted the gospel. And he is amazed that how quickly it is these people who have been saved and how quickly these people who had believed the gospel were now somehow entertaining the idea of things that went against the true gospel. They were really willing to listen and someone entertain a different gospel. Paul is concerned about this. Go over to chapter 5 of Galatians for a moment. Where Paul is teaching again, you think about it's some of the same problems that were, they were dealing with at the church at Antioch. Those that were teaching that circumcision, something else besides faith alone, true, you want to say repentant faith alone in Christ was not enough. Paul encourages them in chapter 5 of verse 1, it was for freedom that Christ has set you free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision, he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ. You are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness. 
For in Christ Jesus, there's neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. That means anything but faith working through love. You were running so well. Who hindered you? Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from Him who calls you. This didn't come from God. And He reminds them that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. But Paul was concerned because, and he's just reminding them, he's saying, if you continue down this track, you are severing yourself from Christ. And you're severing yourself, and especially those that are going to follow you, you're severing them from the grace of God. You're severing them from any hope of redemption. If you keep believing these things, and this persuasion did not come from God, it is coming from someone else and something else. If you will, look over in 2 Corinthians. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We've already seen Galatians chapter 1, that the churches there in Galatia were struggling with people that were teaching a different gospel. Well, here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul is concerned because they're entertaining some that are preaching a different Jesus. He says in verse 1, I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness, but indeed you are bearing with me, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband so that to Christ I might present you a pure virgin. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. I'm afraid that as some are coming there and beginning to teach and to say some things that, that are not true of Jesus, not true of the gospel, not true of how it is that one is saved and justified and reconciled in the sight of God. I'm concerned because you seem to be willing to bear this up beautifully. That is, you're, you're not questioning this. You're not going against this. That's why he says down in verse 12, but what I am doing I will continue to do so that I may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the matter about which they are boasting. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel a light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. Paul is warning them not to continue down this trail of listening to those that are teaching another Jesus or teaching another gospel, something they didn't hear from the apostles. If you will, for just a moment, look over in uh, 1 Timothy. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. 
In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, the Apostle Paul here is writing, he says, this, I command, this command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, so they will be taught not to blaspheme. Now, what is it that they were teaching? What is it that was going around here? This is the church at Ephesus. Well, go over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul is warning Timothy to avoid, in verse 16, worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they're upsetting the faith of some. You could go over and look in, in 1 John and in 1 John chapter 2 and in 1 John chapter 4. What do you see there? That John is warning the same thing that Paul was warning. That's why John says, don't believe every spirit. Don't believe everything you hear. But test it. Test it according to the word of God. Test the gospel that someone's preaching. Test what they're saying about Jesus. Test what they're saying about salvation. Test what they're saying about how it is you obtain this salvation. Test it. You go back and you look at these passages and you put them together and you see that even early on in the church, within the first 50, 60 years of the existence of the church, that there were already threats to the purity of the gospel. Threats to the person of Jesus. Go and read in 1 John and what do you see there? There were some that were questioning the deity of Jesus. You read there in 1 John chapter 4 and you see there were some that were questioning the humanity of Jesus. You look at what all Paul is saying here and there were those that were questioning the resurrection of Jesus. Questioning the works of Jesus. Questioning and saying that a person couldn't be saved by just genuine faith in Christ alone, but they had to also have circumcision. These were all distortions of the gospel. And that's why, as we read there a moment ago, back in Acts chapter 15, that whenever those Judaizers showed up there at Antioch and they began teaching the brethren that unless you are circumcised according to the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. And Paul and Barnabas stood up and began to get into a heated discussion and debate with them. You could even say an argument with them. Why? Because they knew that souls were at stake. Their eternal destiny was at stake. And if this was allowed to stand, and people were willing to entertain this idea that someone could be saved and they had to have faith plus something else. Paul knew, Barnabas knew, that if that was allowed to stand, it was going to condemn people to hell. And they would not, they could not stand for that. And as we read there a moment ago in Acts chapter 15, what do we see? We see that what they had to say 
about the gospel and what they had to say about this idea that you didn't have to be circumcised in order to be saved, that this was good according to the Holy Spirit as well. It was good according to the Holy Spirit. This gospel purity that we maintain the essential parts of the gospel Brother, that's why I said to you last Sunday morning when we were looking there in 1 Corinthians 15, if you get an essential part of the gospel wrong, it has eternal consequences for those who believe it. Because their believing then is in vain. It's useless. It's useless to save them. There is no salvation. There is no forgiveness of sins. There is no reconciliation with God. There is no eternal life. Now I want you to to understand for Paul and what it must be for us is is the, the purity of the gospel and the opportunity of the gospel to go forward. Because there's something interesting when you put some pieces together of what Paul did that may at first make you scratch your head and say, what's he doing? This seems to be inconsistent when I read some of the actions of Paul. For example, we read there in Acts chapter 15 that some were saying circumcision was necessary for salvation and Paul is standing up and fighting against that as hard as he can fight against it. Not only that, go over with me to... uh, 1 Corinthians, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 18, Paul says, Was any man called, that is, was he saved when he was already circumcised? then he's not to become uncircumcised. Has anyone been called that is saved in uncircumcision? Then he's not to be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. What matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. Each man must remain in that condition in which he was called. Think about what he says there. Go over with me for just a moment to the book of Galatians and go to Galatians chapter 2. Go to Galatians chapter 2. And in verse 3, we have a situation here where at some point a man by the name of Titus that has a book written to him later on is with Paul And he says, not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in, who sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour. Why? so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. Notice what he's saying. There were some folks that came in 
And we're trying to teach and to say a person needed to be circumcised. And Paul said, I had a man here with me who was a true believer, who's, who's, uh, he was a Greek, which means he hadn't been circumcised. He wasn't Jewish. He hadn't been circumcised. And he wasn't compelled, and Paul wasn't compelled to have him circumcised. And it was all because of the truth of the gospel that he wanted to remain with them. Now, keep that in mind and go back to Acts chapter 16. Go back to Acts chapter 16. Paul, verse 1, came also to Derbe and to Lystra. And a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him. And he took him and circumcised him. Because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now that's where you scratch your head and say, Paul, what are you doing? I mean, we just read a chapter before where you got in this heated argument where people were teaching that you had to be circumcised in order to be saved, and you stood up and said, that's not true. We just read a moment ago, Paul, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, that if you were saved while you were uncircumcised, remain uncircumcised. Circumcision is nothing. Paul, we just read a moment ago that you were with a Greek by the name of Titus who had not been circumcised and some folks came in and said he needed to be circumcised and you wouldn't yield to it not for one hour what it is they had to say. So why is it when it comes to this young man by the name of Timothy whose mother was Jewish and his father was a Greek which is implying he had not been circumcised at that point why is it you took him and said be circumcised? It's all back to the gospel. It's about the gospel. When you notice how this is written, Paul's wanting this man to go with him, which means Paul already recognizes and knows by the testimony of those that are speaking so well of him. In verse 2, they already know, as it even says in verse 1, he is a disciple. So understand when you read there in verse 3 that Paul having him circumcised has nothing whatsoever to do with him being saved. It has nothing whatsoever to do with him becoming a follower of Jesus Christ and becoming a true disciple of Christ. Paul here is not saying to Timothy, Timothy, you need to be circumcised in order to be saved. He's saying, Timothy, you are saved. And you are a true disciple of Christ. But you also have a mother who is Jewish and we're going to be traveling into areas where we're going to be trying to go into synagogues to minister the gospel to some Jewish people. And when we go there, they're going to know who you are and they're going to know that your father's a Greek and they're going to know you haven't been circumcised and they're not going to allow you in and they may not even allow me in as well if you're there with me. 
you're seeing is about the gospel. That is, Paul was saying to Timothy, Timothy, be willing to deny this freedom you have. He didn't have to be circumcised for any reason in regards to salvation or anything else. But he was saying, Timothy, you have this freedom, but we'd be willing to give up this freedom in order to go out and reach others with the gospel of Christ. So Paul in no way here is distorting the gospel. He's actually promoting the gospel. This is why Paul says over in 1 Corinthians, to the Jews I became a Jew, to the Greeks I became a Greek, so that I might win some to the Lord. Now that didn't mean Paul said, hey, if I'm going out with the partiers, I'm going to go out and party so that I can win them. He was saying those things that are not sinful, that I have freedom in Christ, I'm willing to sacrifice some of those things in order to see people coming to know Jesus as their Savior and as their Lord. Paul here is being consistent. And what's consistent with Paul is, is that the gospel is the priority and the gospel is pure. That's why when it was the situation of Titus, that circumcision would have given the impression to all those people, you have to be circumcised in order to be saved. And that's why Paul said to Titus, under no circumstances am I going to have you circumcised. That's not going to happen. Beloved, Paul, I I want you to see how important the purity of the gospel is to Paul. Go back to Galatians chapter 1. Go back to Galatians chapter 1. And let's finish, let's read this whole section. You want to know how important this is to Paul? Begin again, look back at verse 6. He says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. Which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. And we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. He can't say it any stronger than that. For Paul, it didn't matter who it was. If somebody shows up on the scene and they're preaching a different gospel than what they had already preached, he's saying, cut them off. They are to be a curse to you. Condemned. Stay away. Don't entertain anything they have to say. This is why when you look over in chapter 2, In verse 11, when he says, when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. What is it that Peter was doing that was so harmful that the Apostle Paul felt like he had to oppose him to his face and to say that this was a condemned person for what he was doing? Verse 12, for prior to the coming of certain men from James... He used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy. 
with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, there's the issue again to Paul. You're not being straightforward about the gospel, I'm going to say something to you. You're doing things that is distorting the gospel of grace through faith alone in Christ alone, I'm going to say something to you. I don't care if you're Peter. It doesn't matter to Paul. What matters is the purity of the gospel. That's why he says there, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even if we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. You know what Paul was practicing here? He was practicing what he taught. If you look over in 1 Timothy chapter 5, listen to this. You don't have to turn there. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul taught the church and taught Timothy. In verse 19, he says, Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. And those who continue to sin, continue in sin, rebuke in the presence of all. Why? So that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. Paul looked at that situation there at Antioch when he got there and he saw what Peter was doing and what Barnabas was doing and Peter was the ringleader and Peter was beginning to to do things that was distorting the, the gospel. He wasn't being straightforward about the gospel and because it was Peter and he was doing this in public, Paul went in public and Paul rebuked him in the presence of all. Because he wanted them to understand Peter was in sin and he wanted them to understand that this is something they all should be fearful of. Don't go down this trail. Paul understood that God grows the church through the purity of the gospel. Sadly, beloved, one can look back throughout church history and you'll see that some of the darkest days for the church is when the church lost the purity of the gospel. And I'll tell you, the purity of the gospel is being lost more and more in our day. You say, so what should we do about this? What should be my response to this? You've clearly shown us tonight from the different passages that we have looked at how important the purity of the gospel was from the actions of Paul, from the teachings of Paul, from the teachings of John. Well, here's what I hope would be your response. One, that you just really know the gospel. Just know the gospel. Know it. 
And keep hearing it. Keep contemplating the gospel. Keep thinking about the gospel. Keep thinking about the life and the death and resurrection of Jesus. Keep thinking about the, the this theology and the doctrine that we've been studying and thinking about the deity of Christ, the humanity of Christ, the provision of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, that you had to repent and put your faith in Christ and in Christ alone. Keep thinking about that. Thinking as we were even talking about this evening in discipleship training where he says, if God so loved us, how we ought to love one another. That is, go back and look at the cross and think about the love of God for you at the cross. How is it we cannot love one another if we look back at the cross? What tells me when I struggle with love in my heart towards someone, it tells me I'm not looking at the cross. I'm not thinking about it as much as I should be. But also, have convictions. Be discerning. That is, stand for the gospel. Stand for it. Know what the gospel is and stand for it. Well, but I'm telling you, as you get out and you interact with people, with your friends, I'm telling you, as you interact with your family, as you just interact with people, you're going to find out real quickly just how easy it is for people to compromise on the gospel. For them to compromise that a person is saved through Christ alone and through faith alone in Christ by grace alone. That is an offensive message because it's narrow. It is exclusive. And it narrows it down. It's a simple message, but it, it is exclusive. But also, you must have the commitment that Paul had over in the book of Galatians. In Galatians chapter 1, in verse 10, when he said this, For am, am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were, if I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. You have to have the conviction and the commitment in your heart that says, I am a bondservant, I am a slave of Christ, and I want to please my master. And for me to please my master says that I have to be willing to stand for the gospel. Even when it's not popular, even when it's not acceptable, Stand for the gospel. If you're wanting to have favor, if your idea is just to have favor with men, favor with others, instead of wanting to be pleasing to the Lord, I want you to know you're setting yourself up to compromise. At some point, to compromise. And finally, and this is where the, the church in general, the, the local churches need to be aware of this, but I think a response that, that needs to be from God's people is to have qualified pastors who are able to refute those who contradict the truth of the gospel. I know this because Paul says it over in Titus chapter 1. 
In Titus chapter 1, listen to what he says. That the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able both to exhort and sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. And notice what he says here, who must be silenced. Because they're upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. Paul is saying, and remember this is in the context of of sending Titus or leaving him in Crete to go around into every city in that area where there was a church. There was one local church there in every city. And Paul says, Titus, go back there and help them to appoint and to establish those that are going to be the pastors, the leaders of those churches. And when you do that, you tell them to look for the man or the men that are going to lead in those churches that are able to stand up and refute those who contradict the purity of the gospel because the attacks are going to come. And this is where God's people have to be consistent and have convictions to know the gospel, believe it, committed to it, stand for it, and following Christ. This is why when you go back and you look, you see the gospel continued to move forward. Souls continued to be saved. Believers continued to grow and be strengthened. This is why, again, I would say this, if you ever wanted to, just go back and take a week and just read through the book of Galatians, the whole book. Because the whole book is about this issue. Because Paul, and he even says to them, how is it you've become bewitched? That is, how is it you have been willing, you have been charmed by these people that are teaching things that aren't the truth? In regards to the gospel and how a person's saved, how a person's sanctified, how easy it is. I mean, beloved, we have to just have these convictions. We have to have these convictions. So if somebody is saying things they shouldn't say, we know it. Over in 1 Corinthians 12, I'll just kind of close with this. The church at Corinth was confused. They were conf- this was a confused church. And they were confused. And here they, they were being threatened on both accounts. They were being threatened on purity in the people of God there, and they were being threatened in the purity of the gospel. And Paul says to them in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. 
and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Do you know why he had to say that to them? Because there were actually people standing up in the church at Corinth and saying, God has spoken to me and here's what he says, Jesus is accursed. And they didn't kick him out. They allowed him to stay. Paul was just wanting them to understand this, how important it was that the gospel remained pure. I hope it is something that is settled in your heart. Do you know the gospel? And not only do you just know the the facts of the gospel, let me ask you this, this evening, have you embraced Jesus Christ? Have you embraced the gospel, the good news of salvation that is in Jesus Christ alone? Have you truly repented of your sins, putting your faith alone in Christ, in his life, his death, and his resurrection? Have you truly done that? Oh, beloved, you, you need to believe the gospel. The true gospel. That it's not dependent upon your works or anything you do. It's all dependent upon Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus. Trust Jesus. Love Jesus. Know Him as your Savior and as your Lord. Have you obeyed the gospel in that sense? That is, have you put your faith in Christ? Maybe for some of you here tonight, that's what you need to do. You need to put your faith in Christ. I want to ask you to bow your heads in prayer.